Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, Kodo listeners. This is Matt Hoysh from the Kodo News Team. Welcome to another installment of Off the Record. And um, as hard as it is to believe, it's it's really hard for me to believe. Actually, we uh, school is almost back in session, um, and so in honor of that, we are delighted to be joined by the leadership team over at the Telluride School District Superintendent. John Pandolfo, elementary school principal Susan Altman, intermediate school principal Zoe Gillette, and middle high school principal Sarah Kimball. It is a uh, an educationally full studio this evening. Thank you to all four of you for joining us this evening. Thank you, Matt. It's our pleasure to be here. Um, and yeah, I'm eternally more so grateful because it's um, it's been a lot going on even before school started. And um, so before we really dive into kind of all the looking forward to the next year, we do want to Talk about just a couple of the many things that have happened over the last few days in our community with the school district, um, kind of starting most recently this morning. Uh, there was a lockdown briefly, and um, would love to hand things over to you, John, just to announce kind of just what went down and, and kind of clarify any misconceptions. Sure, Matt. I can start with a quick de- debrief of what happened today. Uh, sometime a little bit before 1030, um, we were informed by law enforcement that the entire district should go into lockdown. We have our protocols set up for that. So we had law enforcement on hand, more joined. Um, our staff, you know, responded by going into the, um, you know, through into the lockdown protocol. Uh, and what we found out was there was an adult who has, has been associated with the school community, not a direct school employee, was never a direct school employee, but worked for one of our partner organizations. Um, and that employee had become somewhat uh, unstable and had just you know, given some signals that caused enough of a concern for law enforcement that they felt like um, following all precautions, we should go into lockdown until they were able to make contact with that person and get that person into custody and just go through some questioning and so um, that person was you know subsequently released Um, I think all of our protocols worked well we had debriefs with our own staff at each building after that occurred and um, because of the recent tragedy this weekend which we'll probably move into in in a couple of minutes we actually had a lot of support services on hand in our district who were able to just offer some support to our folks who were a bit shaken because, you know, we do lockdown drills, we do fire drills. Um, This was not a drill. It became pretty clear that it was not a drill. And I I think I'd like to just commend all the staff on um, doing what they needed to do, but that kind of thing has an impact. And I would say um, there's also the cascading impact of multiple events that really just wear on all of us. And And honestly, I'll just take the moment now to say I really wanted to um, have the principals not be here tonight because they need a break. They've been supporting their staff. They got to get ready for tomorrow. And they really just said, you know, we need to be here. We need to let, you know, like speak to the community and show what we're ready to do to educate our students. Mm -hmm. And I want to second that I'm I'm grateful for all four of you for coming here because I 
it's it's been a lot i know at the school district over the last few days especially um and you know i also of course want to address that recently over the weekend we had a student in our community who died by suicide um and i know that it's 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 really shaken our community and i did want to give all of you a chance to just kind of share how the district is planning on addressing that especially as school starts tomorrow and just over the the coming days because it's a it's a lot yeah and i can start with that matt and um i think we're just you know we're all again shaken by the tragedy uh, that happened over the weekend and i think the news spread fast we knew that many of our students and many in the community heard about it you know we um gathered uh, many of our students and supporting staff members um at zoe's house actually she was you know she was willing to do that and I feel like it really helped a lot of those students who were immediately impacted and available for that support. Um, we convened a group at the middle high school Sunday morning and really started planning, what do we need to do? How do we support our students? How do we support our families? How do we support our staff? And just began that planning that is, you know, honestly still ongoing. Uh, and you know, we did it, we communicated out again with as much information as we knew and we knew it would be helpful to everyone involved, staff, students, families. Um, and we met as an entire school district staff yesterday morning. Our new school nurse, um, Betsy Munich, led us through a protocol that she's used at the emergency room at the med center um, to, as kind of a debriefing piece. And I think that was very helpful to staff to be able to gather together so that we could see where we're at and make sure we, we were able to um, process our own reactions, responses, griefs, and everything else. And we then were able to begin, what does this mean for our students? How can we be there for our students? You know, we have students of such different ages. Um, so I think we, we've been working for a couple of days on what is what are the age appropriate responses what additional supports do we have available again our outside services have been very um very good in helping to wrap around and be available um, on site to offer support for all of us who need that support for the students who need that support um, and I should have started out by saying and I apologize I didn't that all of our hearts just go out to the to the family um, you know, of the student who died by suicide. And I think we, you know, we have been in contact and we want to make sure that everyone in that family feels absolutely supported and all those close because, especially in this community, I think um, everyone touches everyone. And so, you know, it has a huge impact. And it's not an impact that was gone yesterday after a debrief and is going to be gone tomorrow after the first day of school. This is something that we're going to be living with for a long time. And I think we're prepared to work together, learn, and do everything we can to support our students and, and our families and support each other through this. Um, I just want to give each of, of you three, all the, the principals, a chance also just to share. I know that, you know, I imagine you all have been working with your staff and, and thinking about just how different ages, different grades to think about this, because I know it does, it just percolates throughout. Um, I was wondering if each of you just wanted to share how you and your staff are thinking about how to, to go about this in the coming days and, and weeks. Um, I guess I can start. So this is Sarah, and I have the the middle high school, which is grade 7 to 12, which is probably the students most affected. Um, so still pretty raw emotionally for me to talk about. So just ask you to bear 
with me. Um, it has been an emotional couple days at our school. Our staff is extremely sad. Um, just our echo John's thoughts that our hearts go out to the family and we have been in touch with the family and you know our goal is to one take care of ourselves and make sure that our needs are being met so that we can give to the students and we spend a lot of time debriefing on I don't even know what day it is anymore on Monday and have had mental health providers in and they were around the school all day today people, teachers checking in with them, you know, what to say, what not to say, how do we address it? And so our focus this year has been to strengthen the community of the middle high school as colleagues, as um, with students, with parents. And that was before this past weekend. We really, kids are coming back into school. We have not had kids 100% in school five days a week since March 13th of 2020. God. So it's a really big day. Um, so we are gonna be doing, we have small group advisories that we're gonna be doing with Kids Tomorrow. So we wanna make sure every kid knows they have a support network at school. We are gonna address the suicide, but we're gonna follow um, where the kids lead us, where older kids might need to debrief more, um, younger kids less but um, that'll be present in our day tomorrow. We will have people from the Center for Mental Health on site to meet with students, groups of students, staff, whatever people need, but as well as I feel like we're walking a tightrope to balance um, addressing the tragedy in the community, but as well as the excitement and normalcy that comes with the first day of school. So it's a huge juxtaposition. Um, we're gonna do our best. I can't promise it's gonna be perfect. Um, Telluride Education Foundation has been just essential in helping us develop some community building activities, uh, but also giving kids a normal school day where they're gonna go to math, science, English, uh, social studies, Spanish, PE, art. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I just, um, really want to commend our students because there was um, a social media post and our kids did the right thing. They told adults, they called 911, they reached out to the family and I just couldn't be more proud of our students who we say when you see something say something and and they did and it takes a village and we want to be part of that village and I just thank them. So do you want to touch on, on how the, the intermediate school is thinking about all this? Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a loss that affects each and every one of us in different ways. And um, at the intermediate school, perhaps we don't have as much of a direct um, impact that we might think. But I'm always surprised in a small town who's connected to whom and how. And uh, we, again, also need to take the lead from our students. Um, and, and notice that, you know, a, a student might be sad for this reason or something else going on in their life. And so we need to make sure that we are there for each and every student whenever they may need us. So we will be, um, again, all the things that Sarah mentioned um, with mental health providers and different supports um, focused on how do we make tomorrow the happiest day possible for all of our students while also acknowledging any needs that we may have um, among our students and again as Sarah mentioned among our staff. I think the more we can 
take care of each other um, in every sense of the word, the better we will all be. Mm-hmm. And Susan, do you want to touch on the, the elementary school? Um, so obviously my school is early childhood. So my kids are preschool through second grade. And so my main focus was for the staff and making sure they had time to process uh, their, exper- their own experiences, um, their relationships with the family, um, and things like that. Uh, again, our hearts go out to the family, um, and, and we're all thinking of them. Our next, uh, the next step for us was to kind of talk about what does it look like? Is, is there, are there things that we should be observing and noticing in young children that we can help support? Um, whether that be, you know, supporting them in positive self-talk and different types of activities around that. So we'll make sure to keep that, uh, you know, in the forefront as we move through the year. But again, you know, just that celebratory feeling of the first day of school is so important for our young kids. And so um, we were excited to have our parents and kids in the building today. and they and they're looking so forward to tomorrow. So we will celebrate that together. Mm-hmm. And Matt, if I could just add that, um, I think I really want to just commend our overall our staff absolutely for again just pulling together and really focusing on what we need to do to not only take care of each other, but again be ready to take care of students, but also our counseling staff who has really stepped up in helping to facilitate the plans that have been developed, be that level of expertise, be that first kind of responder to students who express needs, um, and and our, our nursing staff as well. And so I think, you know, again, it's, it's our plan is to really meet the students where they're at, but I just want to emphasize that, again, prior to last weekend, um, I was just so encouraged last Tuesday when I was at a a district-wide AVID site team meeting that when the, each individual building was talking about what are its goals for the year, it is about relationship building, being aware of students, meeting students where they are, really looking to try to identify what are those student needs and how do we address them. And, and that's more important now than ever, but it, it's always been important. And while I'd say I, I think we've done a very good job at that in so many ways, there's so much more that we can do, and we're you know that's the work that we're looking to take on. Mm-hmm. And Matt, just a little plug on Thursday night, Bright Futures is putting on a talk at the Middle High School Library, in partnership with the Center for Mental Health on how to talk to your kids about suicide and how to be there for your kids so it's it's not a school event while it's being held at the school but that's just a great resource for parents Mm -hmm. glad you put that out there and it's six o'clock thursday um and kind of before we you know turn to other matters i'd certainly want to throw out um, a lot of resources in the community but two phone numbers always good to throw out the national suicide prevention hotline 1-800-273-8255 and more locally, the Center for Mental Health Crisis Hotline, 970-252-6220. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. And the Center for Mental Health Crisis Hotline, 970-252-6220. Um, and also wanted to throw out there from the today's lockdown, there were no injuries, no one was hurt, everyone was, was safe at the end of it. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I just want to have a quick little... Just a moment of silence, I think, because I think it's just a, there's a lot. So just a, a quick moment to kind of just 
sit with all of this. School starts tomorrow, which is, that's hard to believe. I remember it was May. It was May like two minutes ago. And now the leaves are changing on the trees. Um, and I really just quickly want to get from all of you, um, now that you've just had some time to reflect on a insane <coughs> last year, last year was kind of insane. And I'm just curious from all of you, kind of your overall reflections on how last year went, now that you've had, you know, two and a half months or so to really sit with it, just, just how you're all thinking about um, the insanity of last year as, as we move in um, into this year. John, do you want to start? Sure. Um, some of the work that we've done this week, we've actually talked about what's the first thought that comes to your mind. And uh, insanity's not, not that I want to, mm -hmm. you know, argue with you or anything <laughs> on it. But um, I do just feel like it was, it was such a, a challenge you know, growth opportunity, if you want to call it that, the literal, literal fire hose that we had on figuring it out and maybe how much we kind of grew and bonded as a result of that, how much it exhausted us. Um, it's hard to believe for me that I have the level of energy I have right now because I was truly exhausted at the end of the school year. Um, I think we, when, when we really started asking each other and these four and a few more, um, like, really, are we, you know, are we contact tracers? Are we interpreting, you know, the kind of data that was associated? Are we making these decisions that we have to make? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big burden. So I guess um, with all that said, I'm glad we had the team uh, that we had to do it because I'm having confidence in each other, collaborating well together. Um, and really just trusting is, is, you know, so important. And the other resources that we had certainly at all the various levels that we did. And, and I really would say, while these are things that can be so divisive and it's not, everybody's not ever all on the same page. Overall, I feel like I'm very supportive community. You know, I'm starting my second year and I'm still here as superintendent. And I think that's great. Uh, and you know, um, it was a long year, and while, you know, we've had some things thrown at us in the last month, I guess I'll say, starting with the Delta variant and then to these, you know, recent events that have really touched us. Um, we, a month ago, I think I thought the school year would be starting very differently. It is what it is, but I honestly feel like um, if, you know, if we made it through last year, we can make it through anything. Susan? Um, when I reflect on last year, I, I, the first thing I think of is the, is the TES staff. Um, I think they were truly, um, they were so dedicated. Uh, they were so vested in making sure that they took care of the kids, of the community. Um, and then I think about the parents who trusted us to make the best and safe, safest decisions that we could and supported us through all of that. And then I reflect on the kids who every day came in just exactly as they had the year before. Again, 
I'm early childhood, so those kids, they just whip their mask on and they show up and um, they have all the energy that you can imagine. And, you know, just being in that positive atmosphere was a gift. Mm. Zoe? Um, For me, it was growth mindset. (laughs) Um, The kids heard me say often, I don't know how to do that yet. (laughs) And I felt like it was an opportunity for all of us to... Um, deal with the frustrations in the most positive way that we could. And again, the reason we functioned as well as we did was because of the staff. Everyone kept the eyes on the prize, which was being with kids and helping them grow and develop emotionally and academically. Um, I can't mention last year without talking about our entire community, working together, using the gym to get vaccinations. Everyone was so focused on doing what's best for our community and for our kids. Um, And then our kids just being as resilient as they are, you know, learning Zoom, teaching their parents Zoom, (laughs) uh, all the other activities that that growth mindset led to, right? That I got this, you know, quarantining again, do I need my iPad? You know, they they figured it out. We figured it out. The staff figured it out. and, And families were so appreciative and understanding and supportive. It felt um, as, as, as much as a frustration as it was for me, um, this idea that we can do it if we do it together was the commonality. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I just have to uh, jump in for a minute and just, you know, recognize and commend uh, Zoe for, you know, she started the year as a classroom teacher. Mm-hmm. And she spent a quarter of the year pretty much being both a classroom teacher and a principal. And then, you know, finish the year as a principal in what has to be anybody's most trying year and um, did it with the support of her staff, the support of her families, and really just stepped up and did an amazing job and not taking anything away from Susan and Sarah by any means, um, because I think they all did awesome. But I think, you know, for Zoe, um, you might even question the fact that she decided to take the job, but that's a whole (laughs) different thing. I believe the word last year was pivot. That was the the word. Um, Sarah, general reflections on last year? I mean, I guess a year ago, I could have never predicted everything we would have done and gone through. And, you know, our teachers taught in every format possible, online, in person, some kids in person, some kids online, um, some kids there, not there, quarantine and, and every scenario. And no matter what I asked of them, they did it sometimes with a smile, sometimes with a disgruntled face. <laughs> so I'm, I'm super grateful for them. Um, we grew as a staff because we had to go through hard times and we also lost some staff. You know, people moved away. We have about 10 new people, not new people, but people in new positions or new staff at the middle high school, which is a big change. Um, some people left the profession, some people moved to other schools. So <laughs> Reflecting on on that piece is just looking how can we be better and um, how can we continue to support one another to those hard days because they're going to happen this year just as they did last year to make sure that we're there and that the um, community is behind us. So I said to the staff today, I'm like, we're still on the roller coaster and just keep adding loops. Listeners, if you are just tuning in, it's off the record. I'm Matt Hoyce from the Coda News team. Tonight, we are um, having a little night before the first day of school show, chatting with John Pandolfo, superintendent of the Telluride School District. 
Susan Altman, T Telluride Elementary School principal, Zoe Gillette, Telluride Intermediate School principal, and Sarah Kimball, Telluride Middle High School principal about all things going on at the school district. If um, you have a question for any of these fine folks, give us a call, 970-728-4333. Or if you want to give them give them a compliment or have a comment for them, 970-728-4333. Um, and I think there is there's a lot of elephants in the room, I feel like, but one of the many elephants, and I'll throw this one at, at you, John, is um, at this point, where are we with the public health requirements that are going to be going on in school. Kids are starting tomorrow. Where do we stand on things like masks and quarantine? And, and just what are things going to look like over the, the coming weeks at least? Sure, Matt. Um, I put out a communication, which is right on our website, that kind of spells this out in detail, but I'll do a quick um, recap right now. You know, I think one thing that's clear is that from the um, CDC down through the Colorado Department of Health and Environment, you know, to our local public health. Um, there have not been mandates per se. There's been a lot of calls for mandates on, on different things. Um, what we have gone with is for our population, which is highly unvaccinated, which is our pre-K through six buildings or students, um, you know, we are having students are, and staff and any adults in the building are required to wear masks um, at all times during the school day. Um, and for our 712 population, which is, I will say, highly vaccinated, um, we are we are strongly encouraging mask use for those that are vaccinated, and for the small percent that are unvaccinated, they should be wearing masks. Um, so that's where we're at on on masks. And again, we will monitor that. Um, that may change if we feel like we need to move to masks for the higher grades. We will do that. If we feel like we're able to move further away from either that strong recommendation or as things change at the lower grades, that's something we will consider. I'll say one thing we did make a decision on is at the lower grades, when students are outside at recess, then um, they, have, they have the option of taking their mask off. Um, and so I think that's kind of, that's a real positive and a, certainly we heard some positive feedback on that. So. In a nutshell, that's where we're at just with masks. Mm -hmm. um, last year we had an awful lot of changes and protocols that we had to make from the schedules in every building, from the level of mixing of students, because again, um, what we chose to do was what was recommended, which was cohort students to the highest extent possible. And that is tough because that doesn't necessarily meet students' needs. And we feel like we have the ability this year to um, have students begin moving back into some of those, some of those situations where they have a little bit more mixing, which is better for them socially and better for them academically, and that has some level of increase in risk. But we feel like you know again we're able to mitigate that through um, some of the other measures that we're taking. So uh, the students typically at the lower grades in particular go to like an intervention specials type band and we minimized that last year and we changed how we offered our specials programs like our arts and extras to, to students and what we've largely been able to do is move that back to the way that we used to do it in the past. Um, we still are, you know, we feel like we can have students, students don't have to necessarily sit in rows and we started last year with a recommendation of six foot distancing. That distancing is no longer required. It is three foot distancing where it can be maintained. 
there are times when it's going to, you know, it's really beneficial for students to have that ability to collaborate in groups, whether it's desks turned together or however they're grouped. So, you know, there's going to be more of that, and that's what students need. Um, so in terms of that, that's kind of where we're at. Our middle high school is going back to the schedule that it had prior to last year, mm. which is, you know, the seven-period day. There was an attempt last year to minimize the amount of students that any given person or the amount of people that any given person is exposed to. So we're still, again, trying to maintain what we can, but not at the expense of what we know is important to kids educationally. Mm. So, you know, that's where we're at in terms of the actual, I'll call it flow of the student day, let's say. Um, and then, you know, we, last year, we tested students for the entire second half of the school year. And this year, um, we're going to begin the school year as quickly as we can get it in place to do student testing again. We'll be able to use the Microgen DX that we did for students last year and um, has just begun yesterday at the Lawson um, lot, as I understand it. So uh, we're not going to have that in place this week, but we should be able to have it in place next week, and we will test students weekly. That does require a student to have a waiver on file. We have many students with waivers from last year. Uh, for any new students, we will um, need to, you know, get a waiver for them. So on our on our website, on our COVID webpage, we actually have a copy of the waiver for any families that are either new or didn't have a waiver filled out last year. And we also recognize that there's some families who have moved away from the desire to test. So we've had some families communicate with us, please take my student off the testing list. And I would say if there's anyone out there who's listening and wants their um, child off the testing list, then we'll be able to do that. One piece I would just add is that last year, the testing was we were able to do oral swabs for the younger students, had the older students doing a saliva test. We're gonna have to start out just because of supply chain issues with saliva testing for our older students again, but we'll be able to move to swabbing for that. And certainly we'll have um, testing available for any of our staff who feel like they want that testing. And again, our goal is to have that weekly. I do feel like last year it provided a really good um, data profile for us to know that our schools were safe. And certainly my hope and belief is that having that data this year will help us to also be able to ensure that our schools are safe. So those are some of the things in terms of COVID. And I guess, I don't know if there's anything else you're thinking of, and then maybe I'll turn it over to these ladies to see if there's anything <laughs> they want to add. Well, I guess uh, one of the, the big other things I was curious about was um, where things stand on quarantining requirements. If someone tests positive, are we having the whole class quarantine again, or where do things stand on that front? Right. So from the CDC down through CDPHE, it's yet another one of these things that I don't want to say is clear as mud, but I want to say is just it's not necessarily simple. So um, what, we, what we have heard from CDPHE is that, for example, you will not need to quarantine entire classes if you have a classroom that, is, um, that has someone who is positive in there. So uh, we're going to really rely on our local public health organization to really help make those decisions, but we don't anticipate that we're going to need to have any type of full class quarantines like we did last year. And a, um, in the communication that I sent out on Saturday, and which is also, again, posted on our website, there are links to the flow chart that um, our local county has put out, which is kind of their interpretation of what CDPHE has. It is, it is the flow chart for quarantining is particularly for students who are 12 and older. 
or for anyone who is 12 and older. So I think what we need to clarify um, is how that applies to um, schools and also how it apply, what, what we need to do for children who are younger than 12. And I think, you know, last year we, we did our very best at creating a system that could allow students to be present in the classroom um, electronically if they could not be present in the classroom physically through a ser- you know different technology including swivels iPads zoom you name it and for many reasons we're moving away from that this year so we really you know the priority that was made clear nationally statewide and for us everything else is that we need to focus on in- in-person learning we need students there as much you know as much as possible so the state has really um, they have kind of taken away some of the options that were there for remote learning last year and made it much, much more challenging. So, um, and we know what a burden it was on our staff and really how it was not necessarily the best educational scenario to try to have students at any grade level zooming in while a teacher is teaching students in the classroom. One thing I would say that's a real positive benefit that came out of last year is our development of a lot of our um, systems that really support student learning through Schoology, let's say, our learning management system. We brought that all the way down into the elementary school where it hadn't been previously. And we have a lot of um, student um, support, learning materials, everything else that teachers are gonna be using every day that now students will have access to if they're not able to be there. Again, my sincere hope is we don't have a lot of student time lost to quarantining, but I think we've recognized, and one thing that came out of last year is um, students end up being out of school for different reasons, and anytime they're out of school, the more we can have available for them, for them to continue their learning, um, the better we're going to be. Gotcha. So remote is is an option if needed, but not not widely. It's kind of well, a case by case. Yeah, not remote through zooming into classrooms, but remote mm-hmm. through having access to the class, the coursework materials, which again we know isn't the same thing, but neither is zooming for that matter. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, all three of you, you you three principals, um, we are getting a call actually, so I'm going to take the call first and um, then ask that question. Hello, you're live on KOTO. Hello. Um, I'm just wondering if the school district has considered how the housing crisis has affected um, their operations, the faculty, staff, and students. You know, are there any numbers, any stories? I'm sure there is an impact, but uh, any more details on that? Thank you. Thank you for your question. Matt, do you want me to jump right in and speak to that? And then we can get to... Um, so I think that's a great question. I think we've seen a lot of, you know, going on around here with how the housing crisis is impacting us. Certainly it's not unique to Telluride, but Telluride is absolutely in the middle of it. So we have been doing an awful lot to be able to have our staff access housing as they need it. It was a real issue in recruitment this year and it's going to continue to be an issue. We have a what I'll call a modest inventory of staff housing that is district owned, whether mostly employee rented and a little bit employee owned. And we are doing what we can to increase that inventory, but that's not something you can kind of, again, pivot and solve on a dime. 
We're also working with the um, town and the county in the efforts that they're doing to really um, kind of increase uh, employee housing in particular. So all of those are things we're working on. We, we, I'll say, activated, reactivated our housing committee last year. We really have been digging into what are the processes we need to put in place? Where does our focus need to be? How can we really do that? Um, so, you know, in terms of students, I think, you know, we, we recognize the challenges that families have. Um, we, we have had and will continue to have um, a homeless liaison. That is a, that is a federally, I'll say, kind of mandated support position that we have. And I think the homeless crisis with a housing crisis, obviously, they, you know, there's an association there. So we'll continue to support in that way. Um, but there's not, you know, there's not that much more that we can do. I don't believe that we've lost enrollment. We may have lost particular families because of the housing crisis. But overall, um, in terms of enrollment, I think we're relatively even at the elementary school and at the intermediate school. And I can let Susan and Zoe kind of clarify. And then um, at the high school, Sarah's actually up. I'm gonna say a couple of dozen, maybe more on what we have enrolling at the high school. There's one piece that I just wanna add since I have the opportunity. Uh, we do our enrollment just before the school year starts or our registration, I guess I should say. And we're looking, that's one area we're really looking to improve. And so I think if we can move that earlier in, in the calendar year, so it's done not just before school starts, we'll have a lot more solid registration enrollment numbers this time of year. So that's kind of a goal of ours. So mm. I'm going to stop talking and let somebody else talk. <laughs> oh, this time next year, more solid numbers. Um, I'm curious for each of, of you three, though, also. I know last year, just a big concern was, you know, was learning loss or just the fact that we were just doing things so challengingly. Um, and so for all three of you at the different schools, I'm curious how you all have thought about and are thinking about any learning catch-up that needs to happen. Is there any catch-up? Or maybe am I just way overblowing a problem that doesn't exist? I guess, how, how are you all thinking about, you know, getting back into school and maybe making up for, for lost time? And, and this time we'll start with Zoe. I had a hunch that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think overall, again, I just want to say thank you again to our community for the large focus on keeping our kids in school last year. So we didn't have as many quarantine events as others might have. And, um, and I think that that shows in our students Again, social, emotional, academic development. Um, that said, we always have room for improvement, <laughs> even in the non-COVID year. And um, with some of the national funds that have been made available to the district, we really asked if we could double our efforts in um, literacy, reading specifically, and also math. So we, are, we have extra staff people in the building to do that. Um, talk about scheduling it's always a challenge to try and figure out everyone wants to work with every student all day so we're working hard to maximize our resources and provide the students um, what they what they might need so that's kind of one of the impacts that we've had Sarah I mean similarly at the middle high school um, when we look at our math classes we have intervention classes at every level so if kids need support um, algebra one geometry seventh grade math um, we have additional classes and those classes have about 12 kids 
in them each. So addressing some of the the math pieces, which is a, a big concern. Um, and then some literacy intervention classes as well, a lot at the middle school, uh, not a lot, but several at the middle school um, to address just reading, writing um, skills for students and then some at the high school as, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan? I just wanted to add like, yeah. you know, a big piece for us is the social emotional mm-hmm. piece. And so, you know, the way our counseling department is structured is, is split a little bit differently. So we shared a middle school counselor with TIS last year. And so now we don't have that. Um, mm-hmm. We have a dedicated person. Um, we'll pick picking up more grades, but, you know, Karen Lavender retired. So we have a, a college counselor who's going to do more senior work. Alex Jones is doing more behavioral counseling as well as school counseling. Um, so that's a big piece, the social emotional. Mm-hmm. Susan? Um, Zoe spoke to the fact that we do have some additional funding this year. Um, so that gave us the ability to have an interventionist at each grade level. So we have someone assigned to kindergarten, someone assigned to first, someone assigned to second. And those people um, will be doing interventions in both reading and math. Um, we've also um, switched our intervention program, our reading program, to an OG program to address the multisensory needs of a lot of the kids um, in our school. And then, as John mentioned earlier, we now will be able to um, group kids based on some of the specific skill deficiencies that they have. So that that when we can mix kids a little bit and take them out of their core homeroom and put them with a group of kids who has similar needs as they do and give them some specific direct instruction, um, you know, using the schedule in that way will help us as well. Mm. And just to jump into the alphabet soup of educational lingo, (laughs) the um, OG is Orton-Gillingham, which is a research-based approach to um, reading and really has been shown to support students who have challenges in reading. And we have what's called an MTSS system, which is the multi-tiered system of supports. And that really impacts or touches both students' needs in um, academic areas, as well as their needs in the social emotional learning areas. And it includes what we call our tier one universal instruction, which is what happens in every classroom with every teacher. And then as students have higher needs, we pair them with higher levels of expertise and additional time so that they can get those supports that they need. And, you know, we we know that mental health and social emotional learning is is a big need area. Um, It's a big need area independent of COVID. It's a big need area independent of, you know, um, you know, death by suicide. So, you know, one of the new positions that we have kind of, I don't want to say created, but have in place for this year is a behavior analyst who is really helping our staff at all levels to um, develop and deliver consistent instruction in that social-emotional behavior area. And that's, again, been shown by research to be, um, to provide students with more opportunity for success. Mm-hmm. Um. Another area that I know the district has been, you know, developing, especially I think in the in this year, is the dual immersion program, which is a pretty remarkable feature of our district, I think. And I'm just curious. I'll throw this out, and any of you who have comments would want to throw in can can feel free to. Um, just kind of where things stand with that program, and kind of plans to expand it or or grow it, as I understand it, kind of are in the works. 
I mean, we're, so dual immersion is coming to seventh grade this year. So it's a, the first class of DI, which started in kindergarten, is now in seventh grade. And I feel really excited about it. You know, we hired a dual immersion coordinator for the district, Joanna McDonald, um, who's helping us with that process. But we have kids this year who are going to be taking science in Spanish and social studies in Spanish um, and then expanding their Spanish language arts. So it's just going to continue to grow through the middle high school, which is, as I think it's an awesome pro program and part of our school as well. And I feel that our kids are really lucky to have the education to become bilingual. Hmm. Any other comments from any of you? I'd like to add that I think... Um, Good teachers are also good learners, and um, our teachers are constantly asking the question, is what we're doing working? And we're really interested now that we've had a whole cohort of students work through the dual immersion program and go to the middle school, we can start asking that uh, question even more um, and figure out, you know, what kind of tweaking could we do? What kind of supports do our students need? Um, and to the extent possible, again, being able to group students in different ways, to what extent can we be one school with different options? Mm. And I would just add, um, since I'm at the starting point for people entering into the dual immersion program, that that enrollment in the DI program remains strong. Mm. And I'll echo what Zoe said about, and, and um, Sarah as well, just about, you know, uh, quality of teachers and investment in what they do. Um, we had a dual immersion steering committee yesterday, uh, a meeting, and, you know, we identified what some of the goals are for the year. We really need to look at program structure. We need to look at consistency of curriculum. But I feel, you know, to broaden it, I feel so fortunate in the recruitment that we've been able to have. We brought in two um, very, very promising international teachers to kind of step up the program. We have some teachers who are already in the district who are kind of taking on the challenge and we know our, some, of our, some of our stars. And, you know, we looked at what is the professional development necessary for us to kind of continue that growth. But I would just say an overall recruitment, there, there are districts all over the state and all over the country who are absolutely short right now. And one of my state level meetings tomorrow, one of the agenda items is what do you do for all the teachers you don't have as the school year starts? And we feel like we had a, you know, in the end with some bumps and with the difficulties, the challenges posed by the housing crisis, um, I feel like we got a real strong, um, you know, uh, freshman class, if you want to call it that, of, of teachers coming in, some very veteran, some very new, some stepping from other positions in the district. And I think our ability to support the growth of people we know are, you know, are going to be good in the profession is, is, is just, it's great. It really pays dividends. So, mm. Sarah, a bit of a random question, but a big part of the middle high school experience, of course, is, is sports. And it's a big thing that had some speed bumps like many things last year. I'm just curious if you can provide a quick update on where things stand in the school sports world. Yeah. First home games this Friday. Um, so <laughs> sports are quote unquote normal. Um, <laughs> Our golf team started a couple weeks ago. Um, our practice started for um, cross-country soccer and volleyball last Monday. And um, we've got a lot of kids out for athletics. And it's just really exciting to have a normal start to the season. So our 
boys soccer team is home on Friday and our girls volleyball team is home on Friday. So just come on out and support the minors. Wonderful. Um, we are, we have a, only a few minutes left in our hour. It always really does fly by, especially when you have four guests. Listeners, if you have just an aching last-minute question you want to get in, give us a call, 970-728-4333. We're chatting with the Telluride School District Leadership Team, all three principals, and Superintendent John Pandolfo. So if you have a question before the first day of school tomorrow, give us a call, 970-728-4333. Um, a penultimate in the weeds question for you, John, and it's not the sexiest thing but an important thing um just curious where do things stand right now with the district finances i know last year there was the telluride compassion can compassion campaign um to raise funding for the school district and crazier last year just at this point um how financially sound is the district yeah i mean i think the short answer is the district is is financially sound um and you know we retain the recommended three months operating expenses as part of our uh, you know, reserves. Um, and, you know, I think last year was a real roller coaster in so many ways, but it was a roller coaster from the educational funding picture as well. And we've actually, and I don't have all the details in front of me and my mind's been on other things, but, um, I feel like there's been some good decisions made at the state level that really are, um, you know, helping to move things in the right direction. I think there's a lot more progress that needs, needs to be made in that way. I think there was some real momentum going um, just about the time I was interviewing for this position and just about the time that COVID hit to really uh, put pressure on the state and our legislature to make educational funding a focus. And so, you know, we have something that's called the negative factor in Colorado, which impacts our all of our budgets state level down to local in in a negative way and so i think there's a real um motivation right now to continue to pressure to try to decrease and ideally eliminate that and so i do feel like the you know the federal funding which started with the coronavirus relief fund and then moved into the esser so right now there's been esser one esser two and esser three um, pots of money. They are getting progressively stricter or more constraining in what you can use them for, but that's what's funding, funding some of our extra interventionists. That's what's funding some level of some of the newer positions in, I'll call it quasi-leadership that we, you know, we have in place. And it's also funding a lot of kind of materials, professional development, all that, just to help us do a better job. Mm -hmm. So... You know, that has been helpful because we could have had a deficit. And again, the numbers are coming off the top of my head. Um, we, we could have gone down as big as close to, I think, a million and a half dollars last year. And we ended up um, okay there. And that was, again, a combination of what I think is good fiscal management. And I have to applaud Christine Reich, our um, director of finance, who's just, again, starting her second year. So she was thrown into it last year. I think uh, good work by our building administration teams and operations who have the largest parts of the budget. Um, and I think then the, also the ability to use those, all of those different federal funds that came our way wisely to really focus on what students need and how to make the district operate. The one more piece I might just throw in is we're right now waiting to hear about something that's called a DOLA grant. 
And if we get that grant, that will fund um, a solar project that we will put on our roof that pairs with a roof replacement. And there's essentially, from our own contribution, um, I'm going to say minimal cost on the order of 10 to 15% of the total cost that would need to actually come out of our, out of our own funds because the, the rest of it, our matching contribution to the grant would be the savings that we have in electricity costs for having the solar. So it's not a done deal yet by any means, but we're looking at a lot of these things in ways we can operate more efficiently, have a better system. I, I'm just so impressed by the infrastructure that our district has um, and the hard work that our maintenance department has done to get it there. But again, there's always more and we're pairing with Again, an organization that is kind of vetted by the state to guide us as we really have build a, a long-term facilities plan to maintain and improve what we have, including things like solar, including things like um, just higher efficiency all around. Mm. Well, in the last few minutes we have left, I just want to give the mic to each of you briefly for just any um, closing thoughts you might have. You know, first day of school jitters, I don't know. And the question I'll have for all of you is... Um, do you have a tradition, a little first day of school tradition or ritual you do? I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but we're about to find out. And Sarah, <laughs> we'll start with you. <laughs> um, personally, I, I don't. Um, I like to wear a new outfit, but I'm going to use my one from last year because the kids weren't in school the first day of school, <laughs> so it's, it's coming out tomorrow. Um, I actually spend the first day of school with the seventh grade because my goal always is to know every kid's name in the school. And so if I hit all the seventh grade classes all day, um, I do a pretty good job of having their names by the end of the week. So um, I'll be spending a lot of time with seventh grade tomorrow. <laughs> Zoe? I don't have any personal traditions, but I'm excited for our school tradition, which is our um, minor meeting with an assembly with students and families. And it'll be my first time to have a minor meeting, even though I've been principal now for almost a year because of COVID. Y yo también quería aprovechar, si me permiten, saludar todas las familias que tenemos en la comunidad especialmente los que me pueden escuchar y entender en este momento. Estamos muy orgullosos de nuestros estudiantes que están aprendiendo tanto el inglés como el español en el colegio y agradecemos a todos los miembros de la comunidad quienes están apoyándonos, entendiéndonos y apoyando a sus hijos para alistarse para mañana. No se olviden que tenemos el almuerzo gratis y este, llevan sus snacks, su agua, su máscara y estamos listos para ustedes. Awesome. Um, Sarah? Oh, six. Six, six, six. Um, so a favorite, too, at the elementary school is the, the opening ceremony out on the front lawn, so where we um, introduce the staff and, and bring the kids in. So um, we missed that last year, so just looking really forward to seeing the kids and, and seeing the parents and, and, and just enjoying that, that little tradition. John? So, um, you know, I was 19 years in the classroom and now I believe it's about nine years since I've been in the classroom. And I always look so much forward to the first day of school with my students. I might be a tad nervous for about five seconds and then it was just like back into the routine and it is, it is meeting new people, it is building those relationships, it is watching education in action. So, you know, I'm just excited for that. And one thing I did share with the staff, I believe it was on the opening day for all staff, um, was that 
you know, one thing I do miss, even though it's nine years later, is I miss being in the classroom, and, and uh, I think I miss it most right about now, you know, right at the beginning of the year. Um, I keep myself busy enough that I don't think about it too much, but, but um, you know, we're, we are all sitting here, educators at heart, and we're here because we love students. Mm. Well, John Pandolfo is the superintendent of the Telluride School District. Susan Altman is the principal of the Telluride Elementary School. Zoe Gillette, the principal of the Telluride Intermediate School. And Sarah Kimball, the principal of the Telluride Middle High School. I cannot express to all four of you how grateful I am that you made time to come in and, and share some thoughts with us and our listeners um, before the first day of school tomorrow. And um, sincerely, good luck to all of you. And let 2021-22 uh, begin. Coda listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with more news tomorrow night, more music later. This is KOTO Telluride. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Off the record.